I'm not certain what he's done in your life, but if you've known him for any time, you ought to be able to testify that there's nobody like him in your life. My Lord. My goodness. <laughs> Who can love you like love me like you can? Nobody. Nobody who can give you what you need. Nobody. That's right, that's right. Turn it, flip it, make it right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Turn the enemy on his head. That's right. Take what he had and reappropriate it for our purposes. We're able to do that. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> Can't get out of this one. Okay? It's all right. It's all right. I hope it infects you all week long. I hope it. I hope it just wears you out. I hope it. I hope you find yourself in prayer, walking all week long, thinking about how good God has been to you. My prayer is that it'll infect how you deal with people and circumstances and how you walk and deal with the issues of your life that come up. And thank God for y'all. That's a, that's a song that took its own shape. Yeah, it wasn't. It's almost like gospel jazz. It wasn't even... Wasn't even planned like that, but the Holy Spirit is intelligent. World for praise. Amen. Amen. Bless you. And so uh, it's interesting. I've been getting some feedback from some people throughout the week, the last few weeks, as I've been coming up here and sitting down. Thank God for this ability to continue to. teach you this way <laughs> one phone call yesterday a good friend couldn't tell whether I was standing up <laughs> which which was hilarious to me because I never thought I was that short <laughs> when I was standing up uh, another talks about how I come sliding in on the rolling in on the People see different things, but the good thing is that they, they're seeing it. Seeing it and talking about it. So, uh, talking about the word. Pressure points, this series has been, that we've been in has been uh, rich thus far, and I believe we've got some more teaching that we can, we can do in it. And so we've talked about um, how we came up with this sermon series and while we're dealing with it because each of us have points in our lives that provide conflict and pressure for us. And the question is, how do we deal with that pressure in a way that's reflective of our relationship with Jesus Christ? Uh, we're using foundationally uh, 
James, book of James, uh, to talk about the issues that bring those pressure points in life. That's why we're referencing James and all the sermons. It's the foundational scripture. And just so you know, this, this, this week we're going to be in, in James chapter 2, verses, technically verses 1 through 13. But we started out the series talking about how did the greatest example we have deal with pressure in his life? All right, and the greatest example we have is Jesus Christ. How did Jesus deal with these pressures? We can turn to him and his example to show us how we should deal with those pressures. And the first thing we talked about, how did Jesus deal with trials in his life? All right, how did, how did he deal with that? And, 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 and we used, uh, mama told me there'd be days like this. And, and, and Jesus had one of those days where everything went, well, not necessarily bad, but let's just say it was a full day. It was a full day of activity. We have those days when things just keep coming at you over and over and over again. And how do you deal with them? And then last time we got together, we talked about how Jesus dealt with temptation. Yeah, we, we tried to use as a, a reference for that. Um, the devil made me do it. In that instance, the devil tried to get, literally, tried to get Jesus to do a number of things. Um, Jesus had a standard response for him from the word of God. Today we want to look at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If you'll suffer me to read it for you in a moment. We're going to talk about an issue that I think we all deal with in some form or fashion. And ask this question, does God have favorites? Does God have favorites? James wrote um, to help us with this. He said, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I believe this is the English Standard Revised Version, if I'm not mistaken. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and says, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over here or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thought? Listen, my beloved brother, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Put a pen on that one. That's according to the Old Testament. If you kept every bit of the law, every bit of the law, but you violated one, one precept, according to the Old Testament, you are guilty of violating all of it. That's how exacting the Old Testament law was. 
For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit, a, if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and, and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to no one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Show no partiality as you hold your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That very first verse tells us where this writer is going. We have a passage in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Go ahead and find and stick a pen in it because it's going to be our foundational story for how Jesus dealt with the issue of partiality. All right. Let me ask you this as, you, as, you, as you're thinking about that and finding that. How many of you grew up with more than one sibling? Raise, raise your hand. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now how many of you will admit that you were your parents' favorite? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, 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 and of course, uh, now raise your hand if you know without a shadow of a doubt that your brother or sister was your parents' favorite child. <laughs> right. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. And so Time Magazine had an article a few years ago, and it pointed out that, that parents absolutely do play favorites. They do. Yeah. They won't admit it. Parents won't admit it. Uh, but they play favorites. And, uh, and if you're not your parents' favorite child, then you don't mind letting everybody know about it. Yeah. If you know you weren't the favorite, you don't have no problem saying somebody else was the favorite. Yeah. The reason why you don't have a problem is because if you if you're honest with yourself with yourself, that injustice still bothers you <laughs> to this day. Yeah, you know, we grown now, we passed that. No, you're not. No, you're not. It still bothers you <laughs> that that happened. And it doesn't just stop when you're when you're juvenile, it also carries over into adulthood. That same uh, look that comes in their eyes whenever, you know, that person, whoever it is, comes in, even after all these years. And, and if you were the favorite, then you keep quiet about it. Yeah, because, because you know it's wrong. <laughs> all right. In some instances, you know you got an advantage that other folk didn't get. And you either feel guilty about it or you got a good thing going and you don't want to mess it up. So you stay quiet about it. But the truth of the matter is favoritism has problems. Whether you were the favorite or you were not, it comes with consequences. Let me say this at the outset. I don't want there to be any ambiguity about this message. God does not play favorites. God does not. God does not play favorites and neither should you. Okay. God does not play favorites, and neither should you. We, uh, we didn't have any problem when we were oh, a couple of weeks ago showing how Jesus dealt with the, the pr pressures that come with having trials in his life, and we didn't have much problem seeing how Jesus dealt with uh, temptation. I mean, just put it out there, how he responded to it. But we got a passage here that seems to throw all of that on his, on his ear. 
where Jesus seems to obviously show favoritism to someone. And we ask ourselves, how can that be the case when we know that when we know that God showing favoritism or Jesus uh, showing favoritism would be against what God desires? And we know that of all things, Jesus was about his father's business. He didn't have any problem staying on mission. And so how can he come here and be on mission and have this example cast that really shows that he seems to be being partial to somebody? Now, now, before we get into this, partiality in the church is not a foreign concept. Oh, we, we go in in the church and show impartiality. We do. And it's not a good thing. I mean, we, we are drawn to making celebrities out of belief. And we really, really are drawn to making uh, a big deal out of celebrities who become believers. Oh, yeah. Well, when we see somebody that's in the world, not just because they became a believer, but because they became a believer and they are that person. We make a big deal out of that. You know, such and such superstar is a professing believer now. That's a great thing. But the scripture would ask you, is that any better or any different? than somebody who lives on the street who no one knows, who comes to know the Lord. Is, is that any more special in heaven than that person becoming a believer that we don't say anything about? And, and what, the, what the writers here are trying to say, what Mark is trying to say uh, in a minute when he gives us his story, and what James is clearly trying to say is God doesn't look at either of those individuals any differently. It's only by the standards of man that we look at those people differently, and to do so is wrong and clearly a violation of what God intended. Um, we put celebrities on a pedestal. Not only that, we make celebrities out of certain believers within the church. Oh, they have rock star status. They live like rocks. They live like secular superstars in the body of Christ. And one would ask yourself, is that what God truly intended? For us to put people on pedestals like that? When you have pastors who are asking their congregations to give them enough money to buy a plane, their own private jet, when you have that going on, when you have pastors who have become multimillionaires in their congregations, this is questions we have to ask ourselves. I'm not here to tell you the, 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 the right or wrong of how a congregation takes care of this pastor. All I'm saying to you is it sends a message to, in some circles that something's out of line here. When we have people in that same congregation who are absolutely impoverished and the pastor is asking for a jet to fly around in. Is that, what, is that what the Lord wanted us to do in the body of Christ? And is that how the, is the, the example that he wanted us to give? Our preferential treatment of those that we believe can benefit us becomes a conflict in our ability to reach other people. And the bottom line is Jesus gave, gives us an example of how we are to approach this issue. All right. And so in Mark chapter seven, verse 24 through 30, we have Jesus showing us by example how you deal with folk. Let me read it. It says, starting at verse 24, 
It says, from there, he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. And in some versions, it might say, and sitteth, S-I-D-O-N. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. That's important. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came and bowed down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, underline that. The woman was a Gentile, and she was of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, listen, this is Jesus talking. He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. What? Jesus Look like Jesus just referred to this woman as a dog. All right. Verse 28 says, but she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, watch this. He said, for saying that you may go, the demon has left your daughter. Verse 30. And when she went home, she found the child laying on the bed and the demon was gone. Now, that seems a little confusing. Let me see if I can clarify it for you. First of all, first thing that comes out of Mark's writing is Jesus's action. Unlike Matthew, when Mark writes his gospel, he starts out showing Jesus doing stuff. His action jumps out the page immediately. Jesus came and started preaching, healing, and teaching. Matthew, on the other hand, if you go back and you study his gospel, look at his gospel, Matthew has to build a case for Jesus being who he is. He goes through all his genealogy, you know, this person begat this person, this person begat that person. But Mark doesn't do that. In Matthew's, in Mark's gospel, Jesus hits the ground running. And so here he is. He's been going. We're seven chapters into Mark's writing. And Mark says, Jesus gets away from everybody. He leaves. Not only does he leave, he leaves the Jewish region that he's in, and he goes into this, watch this, a Gentile region. Why in the world would this Jewish preacher go into the Gentile area? What's important about him doing that? Well, the, the area that he's in would today be modern-day Lebanon on the map, the modern-day Lebanon. And it wasn't the first time Jesus had gone into Gentile territory. Um, we see him going in there again. You know, he met that woman at the well. That was in the Gentile region. He had to go there. The Bible says in that scripture, he must needs go through Samaria. He had a necessity to go through Samaria. The Holman New Testament commentary points out that Jesus wasn't going to this region to do ministry. That wasn't his purpose in going there, to do ministry. In fact, he was probably there to get away from the folk who were persecuting him at that time. He was already being hunted, uh, by the, hunted by them, and so he had to get away. So why did he go into the Gentile region? Because those devout church folk who were following him would not be seen in those Gentile regions. And so he went to a place to get away from them. They wouldn't have been caught dead in these places. And so it seemed to him a righteous place for him to go just to get some uh, a breath of fresh air. But watch this. He's a rock star proportions now. Everybody knows who Jesus is. Everybody knows what's going on when he follow, when he's uh when he's coming in, people are getting healed, 
people are getting help. And so even if he leaves the largely Jewish area that he's been ministering in, the word is travel. And so even in a Gentile, non-Jewish area, he can't get away from people. He's relaxing or, or, or with his friends, retreating, and his disciples, and a Gentile woman comes up to him and says, can you help me? Can you imagine you on vacation? You all the way in the Caribbean. Somebody walks up to you and says, hey, aren't you such and such? Can you help me do such and such? That's exactly what's going on with Jesus. He's on retreat. But somebody needs some relief. And when you need relief, you're going to go to whomever it is that you think can help you. And this woman was bold enough to go to this Jewish rabbi and ask him for some help. So it really shouldn't have surprised anybody that this Gentile woman came to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus wasn't caught off guard. It's not as if he asked, do you know who I am? It's not as if he asked that. Clearly the fact that this woman approached him shows she has some level of understanding on who this man must be. And so if we're gonna follow Jesus' example, watch this first thing you need to know. Jesus went to the least of these. Y'all don't hear me on this. We like to gather with people who are like us, who do what we do, talk like we talk, walk like we talk. We love gathering them around us. But what we don't do is go to folk who are unlike us. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He went to the place where folk who were most unlike him habitating, and that's our example. We got to go out into the highways and to the hedges and go to people who do not have our same socioeconomic status, watch this, who are not the same race as us, who are not the same ethnic background as us. Why? Because the Lord wants them to know about him too. And when we only try to create a homogenous church, that's a problem for him because we're not out there telling folk who need to know about him. It's not enough to simply be welcoming to people who come to us because everybody's not going to come to us. If we're waiting on folk to come through the door at 7600 Division Avenue, we're going to be waiting until the end of the earth for some folk. We got to go get some folk. That's the beauty of online. Yeah, we can open the front door in a virtual space and people can come to you without physically coming to you. That's why that, that enhanced presence in that space has got to be a top priority. Know this, Jesus crossed racial and, this is important today's woke society, gender boundaries. Yeah, Jesus didn't play favorite. Cross racial and gender boundaries to go to where people were in need. And in this instance, he wasn't even on a mission trip. Yeah, see, we wait sometimes that our best outreach work is going to be on mission. Can I tell you, every day you're a believer, you're on a mission trip. Every day you're going to be around folk who need to know who Jesus is and how he can make a difference in their lives. And you are the missionary that was sent to them. I don't care if y'all been working in the same office for 20 years. You are the missionary. Uh, for them. You don't have to go to Haiti or Africa or anywhere else. You can just go to work. And your mission is right there. Your neighbor needs to know them. 
needs to know him and the free pardon of their sin. So Jesus went to the least of them. The second thing you need to know is that all dogs are not the same. All dogs are not the same. Yeah, so let's look at this conversation between Jesus. And, and I got an example of that to you. The first, the first dog is one of those wild dogs from the Serengeti. You know, the, you don't have them come in. Yeah, no, sir. Can't come on the block, let alone in your yard. Yes, that is not the kind of dog you want at your house because he is a wild animal. Yeah, but then on the other hand, you got, um, you know, Oh, yeah, first thing somebody said, well, oh. yeah, you didn't say all about the first one. <laughs> if you did, it was followed by something that you can't say in church. <laughs> yeah, or you, maybe I should say that you shouldn't say in church. Yeah. You say whatever you want to say, I guess. But. So let's look at this conversation between Jesus and this woman. Yeah, because Jesus really seemed to imply that this mama who is in great need, who has a demon-possessed child, who is courageous enough to come around all these Jewish people and beg for some help, seemed to imply that the woman and her daughter were dogs. That's, that's what it seems to be from the scripture we're reading. So, so, so what's this about letting the children eat first and, and it's not right to give the children food to the dog. Jesus said this. Watch this. Read the words carefully. He says, first, let the children eat all they want. Okay. Let the children eat all they want. Let me go ahead and let the mystery out of this. Children, in this case, refers to the Jews. Okay. He is in a non-Jewish territory. He is saying to this woman, let the Jews get all they need out of me. Because she's asking from, for something from him. Let the Jews get all they want from me. All right? Remember now, the, the Jews are referred to in Scripture. Um, Matthew as the children or the lost sheep. They're always these, these different names. And, and Jesus was always aware that they were God's chosen people always aware that they were the ones that, that, that God selected. So let me, let me give you this to support your understanding, that he acknowledged to this Gentile woman that salvation comes first to the Jews. That's what this conversation is about. And this woman has to be reminded that Jesus's core mission, Bobby, is to the Jews. It's to the Jews. Now, this is interesting that he's telling this Old Testament history to a non-Jew. He's telling her that. And he's saying, why does, let me ask you this so you understand, why does salvation come first to the Jew? Well, because God's plan of redemption required that he choose a people for himself. He chose Israel and made them his people and sent his salvation uh, uh, process through them. That's what he did. And Jesus is acknowledging in this conversation that, that he is sent to them first. Why? Because even the Savior had to have a nationality. And so it was God's choice 
that his nationality be from the nation of the Jews. And that's why he refers to them as the children. Okay? That's why he said, let the children eat first. God has set this nation, no matter how they're acting, he has set them apart as the one through whom his salvation will come. And Israel knows that it's through them that the rest of the nations will be blessed. He knows this. So Jesus isn't showing favoritism. This is what we're talking about. When he's talking about his own people, all he's saying is this is God's redemption plan. All right. Now, why is he using the, 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 the terminology dogs? This is the tricky part. And him teaching and, and talking about this, because you and I know that different kinds of dogs. There's the first kind of dog that's, that's up there, a wild dog, I told you, that would never be acceptable in anybody's home or anything. Nobody would even contemplate that. Even on accident, you probably would realize really quickly that I got a problem with this pup up. All right, he got to go. But on that second one, he is absolutely designed to live around people. He was born, domesticated, and designed. He didn't have those wild tendencies. He was, he was born for that purpose, and so, was, so it was then. In Jesus' time, that there were dogs that lived out in the wilderness areas, but there were also dogs who lived in and around the people and those dogs truly did live in and under the table with the folk. And occasionally, and more often than not, they would be eating scraps from the table. They would be fed by the children. They would play with the children. They weren't dogs without a master. Jesus used the term in his conversation. See, part of our understanding of this has to do with the translation of the words and the translation that Jesus uh, uh, um, uh, with the translation that was made on what Jesus said, used the word dog, but the kind of dog he referred to in his word was more a house dog. Alright? And so he's not really assaulting her personally. He's simply saying that let my children eat first. Now watch this now. This is a non-Jewish believer who is quick enough not to be offended it hurts to be prideful and thin-skinned in our lives because sometimes we miss a blessing just because we don't listen in the right way. This woman came in need. Jesus is reminding her that she comes after his primary mission. That's what he's saying to her. She's not offended by that, but she responds in such a way, she said, even the dogs can get scraps sometimes from the table. Watch this now. I want you to hear this in the plaintive way she is begging him. She said, Master, I understand you feeding your children, but every now and then something falls off the table and the dogs can bless me too. Y'all need to hear me. This woman understands that I might not get a full plate. You might not order me an entree, but if a pea can roll off the table, and help my baby right now, that's what I need to you. That's what I need from you. Help me understand this now. Jesus hears this woman and senses her faith in what she's saying. She ain't never been to Bible study. She ain't never been to revival. She ain't never been to temple. But she understands 
who he is. And so she, he responds to her the same way he responds to anybody else. Jesus don't care what you got. Jesus cares if you have faith. And this woman, though not born a Jew, has so much faith that he can take care of her that she's willing to risk her life and her daughter's welfare to come and ask him. And she says to him, whatever you got, break me off a little something and I'll take it. And Jesus' response to her was, because see, some people, let me see if I can say this too, because it's important. Some people think they can come and get salvation because who they are. Oh, yeah, they think the world has put them in a space that anything they want, they can come and get. Yeah, and they are mighty confused if they think that whatever riches they have on this side can buy them a place in glory. You need to make sure your children and your family members understand it doesn't matter how good this world order has been to them. It is not the ticket to getting into heaven. They have to have the same ticket that the poorest man on the street has. He gets in by faith, and they have to get in by faith, too. And that faith doesn't have anything to do with what the world has given you. I'm not sitting here saying God had to bless folk to obtain things. I'm telling you, that's gravy. That's gravy. That's gravy in addition to your faith, which opened the door for you. And this woman has more faith than any of those Jewish people who have been pursuing Jesus into the Gentile territory. They are, are challenging him at every turn. And she, like an infant, simply has faith in him. Come on. How in the world can Jesus not respond? under those circumstances. And Jesus responds to her by saying to her that she has great faith. Look, look, look at what he says to her. He said, for saying that, in other words, something happened between her conversation with him about the crumbs on the floor and her asking, and her reminding him that the puppies get some crumbs every now and then. There was a, there was a holy exchange that took place in that conversation that nobody else in the room saw. It, it, just, it just clicked that Jesus saw that this woman attached her faith to him. And because of that, Jesus Christ says clearly to her, clearly to her, your daughter's going to be healed because of your faith. If you go and study this a little bit further and go look at the Matthew version of it, he says that the woman had great faith. Great faith. Isn't it ironic that the only time you see in scripture, I don't, she did two things that are interesting. First, she called him Lord. 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 Yeah, Lord, L-O-R-D. It's the only time in scripture that a person acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord. All right, they call him teacher, rabbi. But this woman says in Mark's story of Jesus that this is her Lord. And watch this now. Not only does she call him Lord. Y'all don't get that. See, see let, me, let me see if I can make this clear to you. I'm going to get up out of here. Many of us don't have a problem with him being our Savior. Oh, yeah. We want him to be he, Savior. We want him to be our savior. Save me, Jesus. But it's the next step that's more crucial. 
We'll come to the altar and get it, but we won't let him walk out with us and lead us. He will not lead us. We won't let him lead our lives every day as our Lord. We are, we are all right with him being our Savior. Save me from hell, Lord. But don't bother me while I'm living in hell down here. Yeah, because the things he tells us to do make living inconvenient in this world order. Yeah, because he wants us to live right and treat folk right. He wants us not to do things that are dangerous to our bodies. I mean, I'm, I'm look, I'm in, I'm in that too now. I'm, he wants us to let him be, what's the song, Savior, like a shepherd lead us. We struggle with that part of it, and that's what makes life difficult for us because we don't want Jesus to be our Lord, our Lord. The only time we see him is with two Gentiles in Scripture where he shows that they have great faith. It's this woman who's a Gentile, and the other time that he shows someone with great faith, according to him, out of his mouth, is the centurion. The centurion who uh, came to him to help with his daughter. This is the only time Jesus says that they have great faith. And think about that, all these other Jewish people around him, and yet he identifies two non-Jewish people as the ones who, not Peter, when he stepped out the boat and walked on water, that's not great faith. Right? No, it's this woman who's begging for the demon to come out of her daughter. It's this man whose daughter is sick unto death. Those people exhibit great faith. We are told and shown by Jesus that he didn't show preferential treatment. He didn't make favorites of them. He went to the outsider just like the insider. He healed all of them. Jesus showed us, one, that partiality is not consistent with redemption. It's not. So if you show impartiality to people, I don't care how you justify, I don't care what you say, if you're treating people wrong, I'm differently, that that's not what God expects of us. Partiality is not consistent with the redemption that you have. It's not. It's not. I don't care. Okay, I know how white folk treated us throughout history. All right, but you walk around talking about you hate white folk is inconsistent with your walk. Saying you hate anybody is inconsistent with your walk as a believer. Inconsistent. Mistreating people because of these things. Now, they're wrong too for mistreating us. But I'm talking about your walk and your witness. You can't judge them by a different measure than you judge yourself. Cannot do it. Yeah, there's a reason why Nelson Mandela came out and said, when I don't forgive them, I poison myself. Which is why the first thing he did when he came out of 27 years in prison, first thing he did when he was elected president in a democratic election, first thing he did, was forgive everybody who was willing to say, I did this. Pardon them. Why? Because all we'll do is go another 27 years just trying to identify who did all the wrong. He knew that. I guess 27 years locked up somewhere gives you time to think. He took advantage of that. God rescues people with nothing to give. If we only associate with people who have something to give us, how they can lift us, and we are being partial. And it's you have to understand this, that it's what God gives you that makes you rich. And that may not reflect anything material. It's what he gives you. It's the peace. 
that he gives you. Watch this. It's the appetite that he gives you. Can I tell you that folks sitting in this church right now who got a refrigerator full of food, who got a pantry full of food, but they can't eat. They don't have an appetite to eat. And when God can give you that appetite, then you find yourself being enriched, uh, being enriched by him. I could go on and on, but God does not allow us to show partiality. That's not according to his redemption story. And not only that, it's inconsistent with God's law, inconsistent with Old Testament law. The entire law in scripture is a reference to the Old Testament law. That's what we're talking about. Showing favoritism is willfully breaking the law of God. It's a break of what he expects from us. Don't treat people differently. Discrimination also breaks the law of Christ. Why? Because Christ came in and brought us grace. It breaks that law. And then last but not least, last but not least, partiality is inconsistent with God's mercy. When you start showing differences to people, then you're not showing to other people the mercy that God has shown you. God does not play favorites. The cure for our discriminatory heart is to plunge deeper into the mercy of God. Why are you preaching this today? Because we have too many incidents happening in our country right now where people are judging and taking action based on people's ethnicity. They're shooting up grocery stores and schools based solely on the fact that folk are of a different race. And so what becomes the response from us is not to do the same thing. No, no. Nobody wins when everybody gets done. Nobody wins when everybody hates. What the world needs now is more of what Jesus Christ brought into the world. And that is love and acceptance. I realize it seems a poor substitute to be praying for folk and reaching out to them right now, but that's exactly what folk need. They need to know that they're not alone. Yeah, we got a whole generation of young folk who think they're being replaced, overlooked, who think that nobody's caring about them. The response is not to validate that by taking them out. The response is to show them it's wrong. That's the church's role. We don't have to go to Buffalo. We don't have to go to Uvalde. We don't have to go to these places where tragedies have taken place. It's happening in Birmingham right now. We got young folk who live in and around us right now who do not believe that anybody cares about them. Do not believe that if somebody wants them to be successful in life. You live near them, some of them in your family, some of them your children. They're struggling right now. I came to tell you today, can't just wait for the ones who come who, who, who like you. We got to go out and get the ones who nobody's thinking about. That's our job. I need some helpers on that job. I need some people to come and support me as we go out and reach and try to support them in whatever way we can. Sometimes we'll talk to them. Sometimes we'll support them in different ways. Jesus did whatever he could to support the people who he came, that he came into contact with. Some of them are going to look like us. Some of them aren't going to look like us. Either way it goes, it's still our mission to support them. And we're going to be on mission to support them. The question is, who's going to be helping? Them? But first, you got to make sure you understand that Jesus came for you too. 
Because somebody in here might be thinking that Jesus Christ, I see him in theory, but I don't know him practically in my life. I don't know that he's the one that I have who's helping me. Well, maybe I've said something today that tells you that Jesus paid all that needs to be paid so that you in heaven could have a good relationship. Maybe you've learned today that Jesus Christ talked to that woman who was not a part of his family. He'll talk to you too. He talked to me. I know others in here he talked to as well. Here's an opportunity for you to accept him as the friend he is. And I'm, I'm empowered by the highest officers of heaven to let you know that Jesus Christ came for you, specifically for you. And I want you to know that he died for you. Not only did he die for you, the greatest thing about this is that he's alive right now. He lives for you. He's living for you and he's empowering me and David and Alvin and he's empowering all of these other brothers to come out and to support you and to be a part of your life. The question is, will you accept it? Will you accept it? Will you accept the gift that he's made, the gift of eternal life for you? If today is the day that you've realized he's given that to you, then I extend an invitation to you to come and be a part of us right here at this church family. Perhaps, perhaps you've already gotten a church family that you've joined, but you need somewhere where you think you can grow better in fellowship. Then I extend that invitation to you as well. Whether it's here physically in the building or virtually in our congregation, I extend the invitation to you to become a part of us. Wherever you are, whosoever will, let them come right now. The doors of our church are wide. Come on now.